What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 70 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we dive right into your questions. That's right, episode 70 is all listener questions, so without further ado, let's get started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep that coffee in your mouth. Do not, I don't want that all over the Skype cam. <laughs> Uh, good morning. Uh, I guess I'm recording. Yeah, good morning to you. How you doing? Two times in one week. This is beautiful. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I guess we uh, we never did apologize for not making last Friday, and we just couldn't make it happen with the holiday weekend. We we were closed yeah. Thursday, Friday, and you were just getting back from Mexico, so it was just it just didn't it's happen. Chaos. And I was still getting over the cold Wednesday night when we were going to do it. I'm like, nah, I don't. I'm not feeling it. So sorry. <laughs> we about both that. just checked out. We said, you know what? <laughs> Let's just do some double time next week. Oh, man. Hey, do you think – so when – before we press record and do our 3-2-1 snap, we have our, I guess, our traditional uh, this is too raw for, for podcast talk. <laughs> right. Do you think there will ever be like a last episode where like, you know what, just broadcast the whole thing, man. We're going <laughs> to burn get, the house down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just get it out of our system. This is crazy. Because um, we're very politically correct on this, but we are, for all of you that listen, we are real people and we do get frustrated with the world around us and we vent and then we, uh, and then after we're done venting, we press record. That's so. right. And smile a lot. Exactly. Well, everyone, welcome into our, I think this is our second time doing an entire episode of Listener Questions, right? It is. And I thought number 70 would be a good one to do it on. I, I knew it was episode 70. Of course I did. <laughs> and you told me something really cool. And, and I know nothing about podcast numbers. And we, you and I honestly do not do metrics on this thing. We don't. Uh, if you guys haven't noticed, we haven't advertised or anything. But you said that we're uh, we're right coming up on 250,000 downloads. We are. This week it should put us over the edge. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's been awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. And if we... Uh, our goal from day one was to just give you guys a vacation from reality, sit in the car, and just listen to some drum talk and let you in really on mine and Mike's weekly conversation. So hopefully we're able to do that. And thanks so much for the support. Please keep letting people know that this podcast exists because that's how we can spread it to more drummers and give them a vacation from reality as well. All right. We've got a, from what you said, a uh, bad word ton of, of questions. <laughs> So let's say what's a good word? Uh, we have a we have a funk a funk because that's drum related. We have a funk ton of questions. So let's uh, get started with some gear questions. Yeah, this seems to be the the hottest topic. So we're going to try to blaze through as many as we can. Some of these have been sitting here for a while, so I appreciate everyone's patience. Um, the first one comes from Jay. He has a mid sixties Rogers fourteen by twenty kick, and he's in love with it. It's been a staple of his kit since ninety nine. Um, he put on some coded Aquarian super kicks, and it sound it's had sounded amazing ever since. Um, believe it or not, I'm just now changing the heads on it for the first time. I see that the bearing edges are super wonky. I have the skills and equipment to fix them up. My question is, should I? I I love the sound as it is. On one hand, I could make it even better, or on the other hand, maybe ruin what I love about the drum in the first place. Oh, what a pickle. What a pickle. <laughs> Don't touch <Okay>. it. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I, I'm in agreement with Mike. I think sound is paramount. And, and honestly, maybe you know, would you have to disclose something like that if you were going to someday sell this on Reverb or on eBay? Would you have to say, I refinished the bearing edges? I mean, you don't have to, like, but it, it's it, if, if it helps, I would say yes. I, I touched up the bearing edges and they've been, they've been 
flattened or you know been trued out but in general i think it the more original the better if you're ever going to resell it especially if it sounds good i mean if that whole thing was screwing up the sound of a beautiful drum but if it sounds great then you're you're set and i don't even change the heads unless they're on the verge of breaking yeah i wouldn't even bother about that i mean let them go until it doesn't sound good anymore and then change the heads but i wouldn't touch the bearing edges if there's something magical there leave it if you change the heads and then it doesn't work then maybe you gotta fix the edges but man how cool would it be if if people started setting it sending in some some recordings of the drums they were talking of like man i can't get my snare to sound good and then they played their snare for us i would love to hear that stuff (laughs) yeah do it (laughs) as mike's face glosses (laughs) over like oh it's just a little more work for me no big deal i'll edit that in (laughs) All, All right. right. So thank you, Jay. Next one comes from Todd. Uh, when recording my toms, I find that coded heads sound a lot better to the uh, for the recording, but live he likes to use clear heads. Um, preference is one thing, but is the difference a question of not miking and EQing well, or is it fairly common for this to happen? I see it a lot. I see a lot where guys use coded in the studio and clear live. I, I use lo- uh, coded only when I want the drums to just be like have more more brighter, louder, more presence. Uh, mm. But they both record well for me, so I don't I don't really tend to say I have to record with coded or whatever. Yeah, I mean I think what you have to do is figure out how much of this stuff is in your mind, meaning that uh, a coated head, it's a clear head and then they they spray paint it technically. I mean it's just spray paint with some grit in it. And so you can kind of do that if you had a clear head and you put a couple pieces of well-placed gaff tape, now you have that warmer yeah. coated sound. If you have coated heads and you need a more if you need more attack or more click or whatever you think you're getting out of the clear head, then you can use EQ and compression for that. So Yeah. All right. Thanks, Todd. We're going to just keep on rolling. Next one comes from Zai. Um, how do you generally clean your raw finished cymbals, especially those that are all green and funky? Um, don't. I know exactly. Don't. Don't ever. The don't. only the only cymbals I've ever cleaned were brilliant finished cymbals because yeah. the fingerprints are funky. Fingerprints, right? Yeah, it just gets a little. It just looks lame. It's it's kind of like your iPhone. It's like all right, this is <laughs> yeah. this does not look good. But yeah, with with the raw stuff, I mean, if anything, maybe just out of health concerns, I'll take like a a cloth and and rub the dust off but mm-hmm. as far as the funk i mean i've never cleaned them at all and you've so you've recommended lemon scented pledge at one point no for so cleaning? it's it's anything other than citrus scented pledge so any okay. pledge that's not so this it if you have minor symbols or any symbols with laser engraving it doesn't matter at all but if you have the stamped on logos where they use black ink then you just don't want to use anything with citrus scent because that the acid in that will cut down your logos but so fresh scent pledge is usually what Peisty uses. If you ever go to the Peisty booth at NAM and try to hold one of their symbols, it'll slip right out of your hands because they just cleaned it with pledge. Uh-huh. So um, and you can smell their whole booth smells fantastic. So, <laughs> but yeah, with with my raw symbols, I mean, I would say almost. I'm looking at my kit right now, and everything except for well, there none of them are brilliant, but all of them are pretty. They're the extra dry series, so they're pretty ugly looking on purpose, and I've never cleaned them once. Yeah, I have a set of 60s uh, Zildjian hi-hats that look like someone dropped like a, I don't know, just a, it has like a strip of like rust down the middle. But I'm not going to change it because they sound Isn't that beautiful. awesome? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like, and that's what, that's the whole point of having that kind of thing is you don't have mine. I have mine. And right. yours has this little birthmark on it. And mine has this Gorbachev thing going on on the <laughs> right. forehead. And I dig that stuff, you know? <laughs> cool. All right. So next is from Eric Sherman. He says, how often does your primary snare drum change? Um, 
yeah, basically, with all the drums that you and I have, what, mm-hmm. how often does it change? Well, I think your situation is probably different because you play in multiple situations, where my situation is almost always me choosing my favorite drum. So mine hasn't changed much at all. Mine, I would say for quite a while now, at least a year, mine has been a 14 by 5.5 Gretsch USA Custom maple snare drum with angel hoops on it. What about you? It, cha- it changes based on what sound I need to go for. So it's, I, I, I don't think I have a primary snare. It's, it's yeah. always different. I don't know that I've taken the same snare to, you know, to different gigs. It just doesn't happen very often. Not because I have a million snares, but because I'd, I'm always adjusting for the room. Let me ask you this. Do you have a primary snare in your head for genres? Like if I called you and said, hey, I need you to do a country gig, do you have it already narrowed down? It'll be one of these two snares? Yeah, it would either be some sort of Black Beauty type or a superphonic six and a half by 14 right. that'd be my my starting point right and yeah. then if i said i i've got this tower of power cover gig you go yeah. with some little shallower that would go like a, a five by 14 solid maple or maybe a birch something like that nice <clears throat> yeah. i love it beautiful all right let's see next one uh, from john actually we had two people ask about this and unfortunately i don't have any specific answer to it but i wanted to put it out there anyway john parker's asking have we ever had any experience with the sabian sound kit as a starting point for microphones i think it comes with two overheads and a bass drum mic and it's only it's under 500 bucks and i think it comes with a little mixer too wait sabian makes a mic set yeah they have like a an ex, a, they expanded their accessories i think last year and one of them was this microphone kit so you get like two condensers and a bass drum mic and a little mixer to put them into <laughs> I haven't I haven't used it personally, but <clears throat> for that price point, and if, if you don't have any mics and you don't have a mixer, get it. It's not that expensive. Get it and give it a try. Yeah. So I mean, that's cool. So do you know if the mixer? You might have just said it. Uh, does the mixer have a USB out? I mean, is it an interface? You know, I'm not sure, but I think it's it's mainly for live. I think it's just okay. an audio mixer. I mean, yeah, obviously, I, I they're not making this stuff. They're getting it from Samson course. or Audix or somebody. So right. the mics are probably comparable to any That's other. honestly what I would be curious about is, is it somebody like Audix? You know, I mean, with Audix, you're dealing with somebody that really goes out of their way to pre-EQ the microphones for the drummer. They're saying, look, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the DW Performance Series. We did all the work. We picked out the shells. And with Audix, yeah. I mean, that's... One thing about the D6 that people love and hate is when you put it in your kick, it sounds amazing, but you don't have a lot of flexibility with it. Yeah. It's always going to yeah. sound just like that. Yep. Uh, so, But I think if you're not used to mixing a lot, then I think that's an amazing thing to have. So I would like to know who's making those Sabian mics. But either way, like Mike said, if it's, if it's affordable and you can do it, go for it. Exactly. Okay, this one is the question, age-old question. Um, how do you dampen a drum room on a budget? He just moved into a house and he's got the whole basement to use for his drum room. His drum room. He's making wood frames with some, it looks like some insulation inside, basically gobos. Um, he's concerned with keeping the noise from bleeding outside to the neighbors and from going totally upstairs. Different. That there's is totally the, different. Yeah, there's the rub. Those, those two things, and that's <clears throat> one thing that you all, everyone out there, you have to realize that sound treatment and soundproofing are honestly not related at all. So I have one of the most dead rooms you could ever imagine. So I did a lot of sound treatment because I knew I'd be teaching and I wanted people to be able to hear me speak in a classroom setting while I'm playing drum set. That mm-hmm. 
that has nothing to do with how much sound the bike shop above me gets when I play drum set. Yeah. Um, and the ladies' restroom, which is actually attached, the public ladies' restroom is attached to my back wall that has all the symbols on it. So we actually had to rebuild that wall from scratch with two by six studs, spacing between the drywall and the studs, and use Quiet Rock. So all I would say is this. If you need cheap options for sound treatment, like studio foam, go to thefoamfactory.com the foam, or just search Foam Factory. And they make mattress foam and everything, but they also make studio foam. And you'll get that Oralex-looking foam for a tenth of the price. If you need information on how to quiet your room or quiet the sound from leaving if you need soundproofing information go to soundproofcow.com and there you can search by part of the room so you can search doors ceilings yeah. windows everything so yeah we we published a book on basically going from soup to nuts on how to build a soundproof room in your house it's so I'm sorry, bro did you just say from soup to nuts yeah man <laughs> what like in the from, east coast hell is that you've not heard that phrase i've before? never heard that in my life i don't know what it the origins are but it basically means <laughs> going from nothing to the final thing <laughs> look <laughs> just google it okay, google fine. it while i'm talking fine, about this fine boom bob's your <laughs> uncle got it anyway um, mark parsons wrote a book about this this topic and it's so hard to soundproof a room. You basically would have to float a room inside mm-hmm. your room because the walls can't vibrate, the floor can't vibrate, the ceiling can't vibrate, and you've got to make it airtight. So you've got to put caulk in every crack and every screw and every outlet. So soundproofing yep. is a huge project. Um, if you just need something that you could buy, you can get like for a couple thousand bucks, you can get a clear sonic booth that will reduce it, I think, by like 40%, which is really significant. Um, yeah, that's huge. And, or you can go really crazy and get a whisper room, which will take it down like 80%. But those are getting up to like seven, eight grand. And you're still putting a room inside of a room. It's basically a module that you just put inside your yep. room. Yeah. All right, cool. And, and I'll put the oh. uh, a link to that book in, in the show notes that we have so you can check it out. That'd be great. All right. We still have 100 gear questions, but we have to move on. Um, let's go on. We have drumming questions. We have psychological questions we have just general questions where should we go next let's go with some drumming questions all right drumming this one comes from dan um how do you guys approach phrasing accents and making them sound interesting rather than standard patterns you'd hear in a fill or a groove Hmm. it's kind of hard to answer isn't it (laughs) yeah i think i I, isn't that what what taste is i mean as far as when I hear somebody play a fill that involves accents, I, I know that I could physically do it. I'm just jealous of their choices. I'm just like, ah, oh. yeah. That's the so inside a, a bar of sixteenth notes, you have a million little hidden rhythms. And so when I hear that vertical grid of time of sixteenth notes or sixteenth note triplets, which notes out of there am I? kind of raising the fader on which one am i making more important and that becomes the hidden rhythm inside of that subdivision and my jealousy as a drummer doesn't come from somebody's blazing chops it comes from ah i have i have access to those same 16 notes but you pulled out four notes that were so much cooler than the ones that i accented (laughs) right yeah and so I think that that's, that's where taste comes in. You know, I mean, yep. Steve Jordan is playing fills that you and I have been able to play since we were kids. We're, we just didn't think to do it in that exact moment. Yeah. So, um, and we can't play it with that feel and that touch. So, yeah, I, I think it just comes down to experimenting and 
Uh, on Benny Greb's first DVD, there's just a great section just called Subdivision Improvisation. You pick one subdivision, eighth notes, eighth note triplets, sixteenth notes, and you improvise without ever breaking that subdivision, that set of parameters. And that'll really force you to be creative with your accents and your texture. Yep. The one thing I would add to that is if uh, – to me what sounds the coolest is when people don't land on the obvious spot. So you can put your – just avoid the one, avoid the downbeats, you know, think yeah. of oh, – Patterns that go across the bar line, groups of threes and, and fives, fives, sixes. Um, usually that's the stuff that makes me excited when it's not just like one E and a two E and a three E and a four E <laughs> like, and a crash. Like that's yeah. the stuff that doesn't yeah. sound so cool. Yeah. Uh, it can work sometimes, but you know, I think if you're looking to elevate your, your sophistication, just avoid the downbeats. That's yeah. my, my suggestion. Boom. Okay. Uh, this one is from Peter. Um, Okay, we're blah, 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 blah. so his kit is kept at his band's practice facility, and he only has access to it once a week when they get together to play. The rest of the time, he has to play, uh, work on rudiments on a on a rubber pad with a metronome at home, and it's getting pretty tiresome. So I'm wondering if you guys can suggest any tips for making practicing in that format a little more entertaining. Um, should he get an electronic pad? Um, and he only gets to practice at night um, when his kids are asleep, so he can't he can't have a kid at home. So basically, he's he's uh, stuck with practicing on pillows and pads and stuff. Yeah, at home. yeah. <clears throat> I mean, isn't that really the thing that's keeping our industry from exploding? Is how hard it is and how loud this instrument is. I mean, yeah. There's no reason that we shouldn't be as big as guitar. If you play guitar, you need a drummer. So why are we not? you know selling the numbers that guitar sells and it's like well it's just it's an inconvenient instrument it's so loud it keeps everybody up yeah um and there's no simple solution with guitar you just plug it into your iphone and put on some headphones and you don't bother anybody yeah and electric drums aren't quite the same you know even when you're playing on an, on the greatest roland kit ever the you know ten thousand dollar roland kit you're still stomping on the floor and yeah. you're bothering somebody so um do you have any suggestions for him um, I mean, I think that would be an option to to check out is just a, a cheap electronic kit or a Yamaha or Roland would get my my choice for just the quality for the money and and sure. I think um, RLX makes a a platform that kind of elevates stuff off the floor so you can you can get that on eBay it. too. If you look for electronic drum set stage or electronic drum set platform on eBay, you'll see that a lot of guys are making these plywood platforms with tennis balls in them. Yeah, okay. And they're you know they're like forty or fifty bucks, and it, it really does help a little bit. Yeah, but. that would be like the best case scenario to get yourself an electronic kit. Um, worst case scenario, I think just playing along to music instead of the metronome is yeah, good. Yeah, of course. Um, but really, I kind of in you have to kind of switch your mind into like enjoying the the monotony of repetitive practice as well and and just set little goals like i'm going to increase by five bpm and just treat it more like a, a sport like you're training yeah so you're you're, you're the entertainment is in the achieving little tiny goals rather than making music that and situation. just the focus i i honestly can't focus on technique on a full drum set the way i can on a pad it's too right. loud it's it's just berating my senses and then on a pad i can see every little tiny motion so i just i think of it as um you know the the more inside i just get deeper into the minutiae of everything so yeah all right next one and get the beatnik that's my favorite uh you know entertaining <laughs> yeah. frustrating you want to beat it challenge yeah it's like a game like can yeah. i beat my top score i've only got 100 percent once or twice and it was pure luck <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's awesome. All right, this one comes from Mark. Um, he has a hard time playing ghost notes with the left hand and a bass drum stroke without flamming them. So ghost yes. note, bass drum unison. Um, so basically, if I do an isolated drill involving it, he's okay. But once he starts putting it into a pattern, it falls apart. Any specific suggestions? Slow down, slow down, slow down. I'm at every camp. I'm shocked at what the modern day drummer considers to be slow. I, when I say slow down to a student, they drop it to like 80 BPM. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I think we're thinking of something different. I'm hoping for maybe a 32 here. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So uh, slow way down. And then I, for me, I went through the exact same thing. And I spent so much time working on all of my memorized Latin rhythms, say like a 3-2 cascara pattern, playing ghosted left hand and accented bass drum together. And I just solo around the drum set with huh. with a very quiet but so i was going dump 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 and keeping that left hand really low the other thing is i always had a mirror so i could mm. see instead of just using my ear for me a ghost note at that time was visually it had to be under two inches i wanted to obsess on it mm-hmm. and i was nailing the hell out of the bass drum and then i would alternate too can i ghost the bass drum and accent my hands so, yeah cool and i think Ghost notes are tricky because, and I've I've been working on this a lot because we tend to just let them fall rather than actually play them. So I think you might have to again go super slow and make sure you're playing an actual stroke. You're not just dropping totally the stick because you're not going to totally have any agree. control if you're just letting the stick drop. And that and that honestly may be where his flaming is coming from. Yeah, it's, it's probably just, not it's too relaxed. Drum. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the best advice I had in college was I took marimba lessons with Shi Wu, and she kicked my ass, and it was like. If you're practicing mistakes, you're going to learn the mistakes. So take it as slow as you have to in order to play it perfectly every time. Yep. Even if your first time through, you have to take it at 35 BPM, don't make the mistake because it takes 10 repetitions to undo that single mistake. Yeah, practice makes permanent. Exactly. So take it slow. Make sure you're stroking it properly. Um, next one's from Daniel. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> That might have been my first double entendre in 70 episodes. But it was so good. (laughs) Could that be our tagline? What's up, everybody? This is the Mike and Mike podcast. Make sure you're stroking it properly. You might have to cut that out. There's so many double entendres in drumming. I can't believe we've avoided them. I I look down at a text that I'll send Carter McLean, and I'm like, that could be sexting. And I'm literally talking about what I'm practicing right now. You're going to get a divorce over ghost notes. I know. Exactly. Okay, moving okay, on. Okay, getting out of kindergarten, back into yes. conceptual drumming topics. <clears throat> this one yes. comes from Dan. Um, he's interested in playing more expressively when playing quietly. Uh, he could really use our advice on how to create intensity and interesting musicality um, since he isn't able to use bombastic body movements and extreme uh, you know, stage presence to entertain people. I, I, for me, the key would definitely be finding an idol that already does what you like. So if you... If you start watching somebody like Mark, um, Juliana, or, or Carter McLean, who we just talked about. I mean, he's – God, that guy puts in almost zero physical effort. It takes so much effort to have that little effort. You know, yeah, It takes exactly. so much practice to be that relaxed. The other thing is, please, guys, all of you, I know this sounds like the worst advice a teacher could give you. 
but take out the earplugs, take out the in-ear monitors, take out the giant headphones. Like none of you, none of us are hearing our drums anymore. So we're not even we're not even aware of how loud and bombastic we actually are playing. So yeah. I'm not saying to only practice without hearing protection. That's that would be silly. What I'm saying is take at least five to ten minutes a day to practice without hearing protection, so you can hear what you're actually playing, and that'll cause you to bring the dynamics way down and really start to fall in love with that little, you know, that little. Uh, rim shot that's just the tip of the stick towards the edge like a timbali and you get right, that right. Quing! you know i mean i love that stuff yeah i mean i would say that probably the pinnacle of someone who can play a whisper quietly and still play with incredible passion is brian blade oh like, he, he doesn't he if you muted the sound you'd think he's smashing the crap out of his drum you saw but, his face yeah, yeah it's like oh when he's doing that uh black dub stuff with daniel yeah. lenoir but then you look at his at the sticks and it's like uh, that's like an inch off the the surface I mean, yeah it's incredible exactly. yeah and i think um, that's a lesson and in the intensity comes from within not from the sticks i think right. I'm, I'm i was guilty and still working on it of of feeling like i have to hit with intensity in order to convey intensity but you've got to have that fire building within you and then even a pianissimo buzz roll is going to be it's going to be emotive it's going to have some some power so brian blade is definitely the guy i know that the wayne shorter quartet doesn't use monitors so he's having wow. to play underneath an acoustic piano every night, underneath a soprano saxophone. But when you see them play, it's like the most intense it's thing fire. ever. Yeah, so. yeah, I love it. I think All that's right. a perfect person to check out. <clears throat> Next one is, this will be our last in this, this arena. This is from Caleb. His question stems from a situation that still haunts me from eight plus years ago. I've been playing for about 15 years and I'm an okay drummer. Um, I feel my time and tempo has always been decent. Um, he's mainly playing in churches Um, but there was one instance several years ago that brings his question so he let me get to the question there was a new song and the leader wanted to speed the course up and slow down the verses tempo wise Um, in practice he was pretty vocal um, and said that he didn't think that was going to go well and it it didn't take the whole song Um, there's some typos sorry sorry Caleb uh, he didn't want it to basically sound like a train wreck where everyone was all over the place. Um, but so his question is, so here it is. The leader has tinkered around on the drums in the past and kind of made me feel like it was my fault. So I guess they did try it on the gig and it kind of fell apart. They tried to speed up Shocking. the course and slow down the verse. Um, <laughs> you know, and the leader th- is basically thinking it's his fault. So has this ever happened to us where we've intentionally had to speed up and slow down not a metric modulation but just basically speed up and slow down uh, it happened to me recently but i was really? playing i was playing with children who wrote their own song <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and it was uh, just like the verse part goes like this ding 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 and the chorus goes like ding 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 i'm like uh, i don't know the song i never heard the song and i'm having to perform it with you right now and you're not looking at me to cue me the tempo or to give me any kind of sign it right. it fell apart to the point where I just stopped. I just stopped playing. Really? So I think in general it's a terrible idea unless <laughs> unless it's really on there's a real purpose to it. No, I'm I'm totally with you. I mean <laughs> I, I don't I don't get it. The the thing is when you're playing music, generally, unless you're extremely selfish, you're you're playing for someone else. And it doesn't matter, even if the crowd is made up of musicians, even if you're playing at PASIC and everyone in the crowd is a rhythmic genius. They're still humans, and they still like consistent consistency in sound, and they'll know when you're speeding up, and it doesn't feel good. Yeah, 
There's no one in the crowd that's like, yeah, now we're going, now we're cooking, all right, all right. <laughs> like, that doesn't happen. They're like, what the hell's going on? Especially if it's so, just a little bit, like, between 5 and 10 BPM. It's just That's what I'm saying. It's going to be you unsettled. Wanna, if you want to do the verse in common time and then do the chorus in cut time or double time, I, yeah. I get that. But at least that's mathematically flawless, and, and you kind of get it. And you yeah. can And you can also... Uh, foreshadow it. You can kind of start getting everybody ready for it. We're going to go somewhere. But just like we're going up 11 BPM. <laughs> yeah. Not I, I mean, I think generally that's why I brought up my example. It, I don't know if this was an original song or one that they're covering, but I think in general it shows a, an immaturity of songwriting. Totally. Or like, here's the guitar riff for the chorus. Here's a guitar riff for the verse. And we'll <laughs> just... Just the two I got. <laughs> and and you, they're only that tempo because that's the tempo you can play them in. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. that's kind of the situation where... I think it, that, or it could be... Did you say this was in church? Yeah. So sometimes you get musical directors that just... They're thinking... They're just thinking too much, honestly. And yeah. it's like... But, Caleb, the other thing is sometimes as drummers, we might be right, but we still have to swallow it. You know, um, my one of my favorite drummers in town is notorious for not being able to swallow it. And he's far superior than anyone else I know in town. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't work very much because Mm -hmm. and he's right. His opinion is actually he's a really great songwriter. So he's right. But it's like no one wants to hear the drummer pipe up like that. So (laughs) you have to pick and choose your spots. Uh, So I think sometimes you just swallow it and the guy goes, want to Oh, one, two, three, four, like that, <laughs> and you just be like, "Cool, man, <laughs> that's a great way to count us in." See you at the bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, never mind. You brought it to the music stand. <laughs> Keep on drinking, buddy. So yeah. So sometimes you just got to swallow. But I think you're in the right, buddy. All right. Let's shift into our audio questions. Mm-hmm. We've got five of them here. The first one is from AJ. Hey guys, it's AJ from Toronto. I was wondering if you guys have any advice or tips for long drives. If it's uh, you know a studio two hours away, or say you're touring in Canada and your next gig is probably six hours away, just uh, any tips that you guys might have um, on solo drives. I mean, something besides splitting time with your bandmates. So, any advice uh, would be very much appreciated. Thanks. Cheers. Nice. AJ is a longtime student. He's a great drummer, man. There's there's a bunch of videos on the Mike Sussman's family page of him doing uh, session work with his band, and he's cool. he's a monster, legitimate session drummer. He's really good, man. Great question, um, AJ. Yeah, and that's a weird question. I, I I've never thought of it. I I actually love those long drives because somewhere around an hour deep, my brain starts to go into a totally different mode. And that's when I start being creative about my future. I start mm-hmm. thinking about how I can change education. And, and all of my great ideas come from long drives. I actually schedule a drive to Los Angeles about once a month. I'll find something I need to do in Los Angeles because it's a seven-hour drive there and a seven-hour drive back. And what I'm doing in Los Angeles is never as important as the ideas I come up with on the drive. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm kind of with you. It's good for me. It's either an opportunity to just take a complete break from drumming and not just get, be so you know stuck in the minutia of can I play three over four polyrhythms and right. you know gives my you know do I know how to play paradiddles and and just like have your brain just empty. Um, that's sometimes cool. Sometimes I <clears throat> I like to <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> hey, 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 buddy, Easy the now. lingering cough. Uh, that's rough. Anyway, so sometimes, I, but other times I like to really dig in and like pick one track and try to learn it note for note. If I've got like five mm. hours, I'm like, like right now I'm I'm studying Sunday Bloody Sunday by YouTube because that was one of the first songs I ever learned. It was really important to me. It taught me how to play right hand lead instead of left hand lead because I'm left handed. Right. 
but I never actually learned it 100%. So now mm-hmm. I'm, in a, I'm studying like every night. I'm, I'm putting that on repeat and just getting so anal about it as, as I possibly can. And that That's makes cool, the time man. go by really fast if you do that. Yeah, just I can imagine. One song on, or even just a verse and just loop it, loop it, loop it and yeah. try to play along. That can also great, make man. it go insane too. But, you know, so yeah. it's like kind of any, any tactic. I also um, sometimes I'll just turn on my Dr. Beat and just – work on my timing and, and just what's clapping or tapping the steering wheel or, you know, just I've, I've been revisiting polyrhythms. Like I said, I, you don't always want to do, but I have been doing that. So mm-hmm. I think it, for me, driving's a time, a good time to go like opposite of what you're spending most of your time on. If you're spending a lot of time on technique, then just listen to some music, listen to some Bach, listen to some cello suites or something that has no drums on it. If you're not doing a lot of practicing, then that's the time for me to get really nerdy. Yeah. So. I mean, for me, it's it's I, I'm always listening to either interviews or podcasts with people that aren't musicians, and I'm waiting for there to be a correlation with what I'm doing. So sometimes it's an interview with Elon Musk, and I'm just thinking, okay, this guy saw the future and he went for it, and I'm yep. getting inspiration from that. Sometimes it's the Sam Jones podcast, and I'm listening to how insecure Matt Damon is, and I'm like wait a minute so we all go through this so uh yeah i I use it as a vacation for my drumming so hope that helps buddy buck august buck hey guys it's your friend buck august here i have a question about hearing protection and when it's okay to drum without protecting our ears i remember mike johnson had mentioned a little while back about drumming in a way that somebody could be in the same room you could be playing and they you know wouldn't be hurting their ears wouldn't be offensive to their ears I've always been very diligent, I guess, about protecting my ears and just very concerned about it because I've just knowing that musicians have a tendency to lose hearing. So where where do we draw the line? You know, when is it okay to drum without protecting your ears? When is when do we need to make sure we protect our ears? Is there an amount of time that it's okay to play uh, without hearing protection? Uh, some insights and thoughts on that would be great. Love the podcast, guys. Really appreciate you, all the information, and keep it coming. Thanks, guys. All right. Awesome. Hearing protection. Yeah, we just kind of went through it a little bit, but yeah. not um, to that detailed level. What I, I've never really talked to you about. I mean, I think we've just kind of glossed over it, but what do you use for hearing protection? Do you use your in-ear monitors? Do you have earplugs? I have uh, – well, if I'm recording, I use, I use in-ear monitors, custom molds. So that's offering extreme uh, isolation so I can really keep the mix kind of low. And still hear right. all the detail. Um, if I'm just practicing, I either use a pair of those um, dubs, those like twenty dollar mm-hmm. black earplugs. They're decent. They 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 leave enough clarity, so I don't feel like I'm playing underwater. But they mm-hmm. definitely bring. So if, but for me, practicing when really the sound quality doesn't matter, I always I always have hearing protection. If I'm just working yeah. out ideas where I'm not as concerned with touch and dynamics and phrasing, then. I always keep it protected. Yeah. As far as on the gig, I have a pair of um, erasers, which I had mentioned months ago. Those are awesome. They they bring the sound down evenly. They kind of take out more of the mids that really cause all the damage. Um, mm. So I at times I even forget I'm wearing them. I only, I only notice I'm wearing them when I start talking to someone, and you get a gotcha. little, it feels like my ears are stuffy. But the sonics of them are pretty crystal clear. And just quieter. So the, I use those on any gig where there's a lot of amplifiers. Right. Um, but in general, I tend to not use them on gigs unless unless I have to. I, I prefer yeah. to play open ear <laughs> gigs. Yeah. I, I'm the same. I mean, I think, honestly, when something is too loud for me while I'm on the drum set, then 
I've got my hearing protection in, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I just I think we're getting one of the real reasons I went to that two mic setup is my drums are sounding more and more foreign to me every day when I don't have my in ears in. I'm like, yeah, what? that's not how drums sound. And they sound perfect and flawless, and it's like, but they don't. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So I'm really carving out some time every day to play quiet and to play like somebody's standing right next to me. I mean, even when I go to Yoshi's and see Weckle, I, I sit usually right at the front, and I'm I'm a few feet away from him. It I don't. It's not hurting my ears. I mean, the guy yeah. has great touch, and, and I've seen Willie Jones the Third there with uh, with Bramford. I've seen Tane there with uh, who was Tane playing with. I can't remember who he's playing with, but I've seen Jeff Watts play. I've seen, I've seen so many guys, and I always sit right at the front, feet away from the drum set. And I would say the only person I had to like find a new seat for was Ronald Bruner. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't like a lack of control. He was he was playing with George Duke, and that was the gig. He was going in the whole time, yeah. and it was, it was fantastic. So I, I think just carving a little bit of time out of the day to practice without hearing protection would be good. But in general, Mike and I both agree, protect your ears. Yeah, and I think it's usually guitar amps that are the culprits of hearing damage mm. more than drums. I mean, yeah, a, yeah crushing a loud backbeat for four hours straight could cause some damage, but right. I've, I've had the most problem. Like, I know I have left ear damage because of the monitor wedge being too loud on a couple gigs and just not having a chance to bring it down. And from guys setting up their open back guitar amps right in front of the drum set, and it's just mm. crushing straight back into my face. That's good. It yeah, doesn't, good. doesn't sound as loud to them because they're standing up above it. But right. we're, we're seated, and it's shooting straight into our faces. So right. blame your guitarist for your hearing damage. Always. Not Always your, blame your guitarist. It's not your ride symbol. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I hope that helps, buddy. All right. Who's next? We've got Cedric. Cedric. Hey, Mike and Mike. My name is Ced. I live in Montague, Massachusetts, and I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you so much for doing it. I have not missed one of them. I have a question for both of you about time, uh, but especially for you, Mike Dawson, because I believe I read online on Facebook or a post that you worked heavily on your time, on improving your time for a few years. Uh, I played guitar before, and I always had bad time. I never worked on it seriously, but I could always rely on other members of band to give me the signs the cues where we are the drummer would make me understand where where i am but now learning the drums is just something i can't avoid anymore so my questions for you is what kind of program did you make for yourself and what were the the exercises that were the most beneficial to your time and your playing thank you so much for both of you um i have a oh by the way mike dawson i'm the guy who tags you on uh, the my results of the beatnik, I love this little thing. Uh, but since I saw that you had like a hundred percent on paradiddles, I was so shocked. And I don't think you're very human to be able to do this. So I challenged myself to get there one day. So that's why I'm tagging you. So I hope it's not too annoying, and I'll try to not do it too much. Have a great day, both of you. Bye bye. Awesome. Said is incredible. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw like the the rudiments journey documentary that we did or not documentary but we did a little short video yeah, called rudiments yeah. journey he did that he's, oh, he's a fantastic um indie filmmaker he did and he did the uh 21 drums dvd that's coming out pretty soon so nice. he went to but he's and he's out he's being very modest he's a fantastic acoustic guitar player um mm. i mean or a, a classical guitar player he's really good so i think we've talked about it a lot but you know, you've talked about you play with an upbeat click, yep, or offbeat click. Um, do you ever do you play with a gap click at all? 
Yeah, I've done it. I've done every possible thing. Now I can go back and say that what he described himself as is exactly how I would describe myself as up till five six years ago. Where okay, if I played with a bass, bad bass player, my time suffered. If I played with a great bass player, I was rock solid. So, and for me, that was an indication that I I was I wasn't I wasn't generating the time from within. I was allow I was letting it kind of come at me. And also, the, the side effect of that is I ended up being kind of a behind the beat player more than I thought I was because okay. you're always listening for the beat. So there's uh, no way you can possibly be right on it because you're listening for it and then and playing. Then reacting. So you're right. always going to be a little bit behind the beat and it's not in a good way. Because right. behind the beat for me means you know where the pulse is and then you intentionally place the snare drum a couple milliseconds behind, behind it. it. But yeah. if you're just playing behind entirely behind the beat all the time, you're just you're just draggy. You're just not yeah. it doesn't feel intense. And it is I don't think people understand that it is possible in a very bad way to have a song be at eighty and you play the whole song at seventy eight because it takes a millisecond to react to the click. Yeah. And you just are you're slightly behind the whole time. So you're not dragging. You just are literally playing two BPM slower than the whole song. Yeah. And you can feel it, you know? Yeah. And it was recording myself was the big thing where I'm like, why does the band just not sound right? It's because I was listening and reacting. So we were in this constant going backwards effect. Um, so that's one thing is, is really saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to just generate the time on my own. And there's a million techniques to do that, I think. Um, a gap click where you, you know, have the click go for a bar and then out for a bar and, and just keep working on it until you nail it. Putting the click on the upbeats so then you you have to generate the downbeats. Um, getting really detailed, like uh, get a pair of claves or something that sounds like the click and just mm-hmm. practice with a slow tempo and really try to get rid of any ounce of flamming uh, and figure out whatever mental techniques you need to do. You need to subdivide, you need to sing. Right, what you, works for you whatever it is um and shannon forrest told me which i'm still trying to kind of uh, you know figure out how to actually do it is he generates the time from his solar plexus Mm. rather than so he says which i I still have yet to really kind of explore all the way but he says he can hear when guys are generating the time from their gut versus when the time is being generated from the tips of the stick which is kind of interesting so if you're playing the time at the end of your stick that's away from you it's not connected to you you're letting this it's not part of you the human wow so if the time is being generated from your solar plexus then you know if you're if you're fast or slow it's on you it's not the yeah. sticks it's not the drums it's not the drum heads it's not the the room right um, so focus on your internal clock whatever you need to do i can't really give anyone exact because you have to figure out your own techniques like i've tried subdividing i've tried singing long quarter notes i've tried not singing anything and just relying on my internal rhythm. Um, the, the the thing, though, is that you keep saying, I tried, I tried, I tried, meaning that you actually practiced it. You didn't yeah. wish for better time. Exactly. So let me ask you this. In, uh, we're five years ago, Mike Dawson wants better time. Where does this fit into your practice? Is it taking up 90% of your practice time, or is it just something where every day you make sure to hit it a little bit? It was 100%. Okay, so it was like I'm not moving on until I have great time. Well, because it was like um, it was like pulling the curtain back on Wizard of Oz. Like everything sounded bad once I could hear that I was out of time. So gotcha. it didn't matter if I could do linear licks because they were right. out of time. It didn't matter if I could play double bass or fast doubles on the bass. It didn't matter because it was out of time. So I went back to like lesson one, Alfred Drum method, turn the metronome on, play it until it's a hundred percent 
perfect or as close as I can get to perfect, you know, having the metronome clicking like the smallest subdivision possible, you know, whatever, like, and at like 50 BPM, whatever I had to do. So it, right. it basically just became everything. And it still kind of is. If you, if you listen to Mark Juliana, that's where he's still at too. You know, he's obsessed with that kind of stuff. He, yeah. He's not working on some crazy combination of notes and, and, modulations yeah i feel if it's uh, not in time then you shouldn't play it so that's kind of been my like impasse you know if i can't play it in time don't play it (laughs) oh could you imagine if that was like something where you had to go get a drum audit and you walk into the room there's an auditor there that says okay i'll let you leave this room with everything that's in time everything else has to stay and you play every lick and every groove and you you leave with one fill and one beat oh my god why did i practice so hard i can't do anything um yeah it's it was humbling and it was humiliating i will say that it's not it's not a fun thing to reveal it's also where most people walk away from this instrument it's where it yeah. gets really tough because there's no there's no payoff you don't, you don't and hell half the time you can't even tell if you did if you're getting any better at it you know it, so, yeah, it's, it takes forever you know it, it wasn't like each day you get better you kind of suck for a really really long time and then all of a sudden you're like ooh, i actually can hear that this is speeding up or i can hear that this is slowing down rather yeah. than guessing or recording it and listening back like i can actually feel it then you have yeah. to train your body to react. Like that was once I had that uh, paradigm shift where like, well, I can hear that I'm not playing that accurately. Now I can fix it. Before yeah. it was like, I think I'm playing it right. Let me record it and listen back. And like, oh my god, it's so terrible. <laughs> it was like the opposite, you know. And yeah. that that just happens one day. It's not like you get like 10 percent better every week. You're gonna sound like crap for a, a year, two. And three. I mean how few people have we ever run into where we say, man, your time is incredible. And they go, yeah, I don't know. I've never practiced it. I just, I've always had it. That's so rare. Yeah. The people that I love their, their control over time, they always tell me like, oh, it was an obsession. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well then it makes sense that, you know, and I have to be able to compare those hours. Like how many hours have I put into my timing versus my independence or something. And those skills should be relative in results. And right. that's it. And I think that's, you know, Part of this year for my drumming, I've told a couple friends recently, I don't really think I want to learn anything new this year. I want to actually learn everything I can currently do better. I don't need any more combinations or, or grooves or chops. I, I want everything I currently play to sound better. So, mm-hmm. All right, let's get into Marcus's question. Marcus. Hello, Mike and Mike. This is Marcus speaking from Munich, Germany. First of all, I'd like to say that your podcast is awesome and I really enjoy listening to it on my way to work so i'm looking forward to every friday when the new podcast comes out and yeah awesome so um i'm playing the drums uh, for like 25 years or so and um i have a problem with my hand technique not in the sense that uh, my hands uh, would not be fast enough um, more that my stick starts slipping forward when I play fast technical stuff. I just had it today when I was tracking drums um, for the project that I do with my former guitar player from my band and um, I was playing a fast um, paradiddle-diddle based groove and um, I realized that this is really a problem because I could play so much better if the stick stayed where it is supposed to stay while playing um i never i never figured out how to work on this and maybe you can give me some tips on that um thanks a lot guys and uh 
looking forward to the next episodes. That's a great question. I think a lot of drummers go through that same thing. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Mike, but probably like three, four weeks ago, I put up a video on Instagram, a short lesson of working on that exact same thing. Did we have a question or something similar? Because I've seemed to remember talking about I tend to play with a tighter grip than most people. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we've either had that question or we've had a similar question Um, because I know I was thinking I think actually whenever we had that last question that's when I made the video Mm -hmm. Um, yeah exactly so so Marcus maybe I'll just put up a link but I I do have an exercise for it and then um, it it could come down to something like what Mike was saying is like sometimes you actually grip a little tighter and I think there's a balance between over gripping and then actually causing some damage to yourself and slowing your strokes down because you're gripping so tight and then just having a nice solid grip but for me, it's I just call it my shimmy. It's like one one shimmy up or down, and I'm back in the right position. Mm-hmm. And I showed the exercise for it, and it doesn't sound cool, and it's not fun to practice. But <laughs> you learn how to climb the sticks like you're climbing a rope. You know. Yeah, um, yeah. I think for after I saw you do that video, I, I try to think about what I do kind of subconsciously, and I think I always try to find little breaks for my hands when when I can to let go of the grip a little bit. But in general, I when I'm playing, I keep a pretty firm not a tight grip but a pretty firm grip so it's not the stick's not rotating a ton and it's not sliding up and down but there's always a moment within every measure or two where the hands just get to relax so i'm never like Mm -hmm. squeezing and you know so that's you don't the other thing is i think um marcus definitely look into the reaction between your skin and the stick's surface and the 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 lacquer they use because for me if I have really dry hands and Vader sticks, they don't have a lot of lacquer. It, it's going to slip more, and I have to grip tighter. So one, I always travel with you know a little bit of hand lotion, and then I always travel with some hair product in my in my stick bag. And I, I actually put the hair product on my hands before I play because that tackier grip allows me to, to not have to grip so tight. So yeah, um, yeah, that's right. We talked about that because I'm the opposite. Like I can't use the Regal tip glossy sticks they just become like glass in my hands yeah yeah i tend to just get a little sweaty every time i play and that just doesn't so the vader nudes actually feel really good to me because they're they just so yeah yeah i mean and that's the thing is the reason why they make all of these is because we're human beings we (laughs) are all different and yeah i mean we've all given somebody a high five after they come off the drum set and it drips down our arm and i'm like damn you're a sweaty palm dude all right um you know, I, I'm I'm a dry-handed man, so I, I need I always travel with some sort of hand lotion. All right, last question is from Morgan. Morgan, what's going on, Mike and Mike? This is Morgan Near. First of all, real quick, just want to say thanks for the podcast. I know you guys both put a lot of hard work into it every week. You've given us a place to come and just talk about, think about, be around our favorite thing in the world, which is something I think we'd all rather like to be doing a lot more of with our friends and family but just seems to be something that's annoying to them um maybe they don't have the history or the context or the appreciation so you've sort of given us a place to come and do that and like my favorite thing in the world right now is to throw on the podcast on a saturday morning as i wake up get my house in order get ready to go to the gym it's just fantastic so thank you my question has to do with uh relationships I'm curious, might not be quite as applicable to you guys now because you're both married and drumming is, you know, obviously your passion, but your career. But I wonder when you guys were coming up your formative years, how you guys, you know, managed to strike a balance between your need to be around the instrument constantly improving. We all know the kind of time we got to put in 
to get to a higher level. And uh, my experience has been, ends up being a point of contention in the relationship after a given period of time. First of all, you know, the noise that the drums make throughout the house starts to become pretty annoying. But more importantly, like the time that it takes. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, it could be the thing that attracts another person to you in the first place is the fact that you play drums. It's very cool. You're in bands, you're on stage, you're performing. But I've found that, you know, as you get into the relationship, it starts to become a point of contention for that other person. Uh, your, your constant need to be around the instrument. They start to wonder why, why you spend so much time and why you're not spending more time with them. And it, I've found it very difficult to strike balance. So I'm guessing that this problem is not specific to me. I'm guessing this might be on the minds of a lot of drummers throughout the world. And I think we could all greatly benefit from any tips or wisdom that you can share to help us better manage uh, the balance. So thanks again for all the effort you put in. And I'd just love to hear anything you have to say about this subject. Thanks. Awesome. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we go back to our current relationships right now? Um, how long have you been married? 10 years. Okay. I've been married for 12 years. And it's the most fresh thing I have in my mind of having to have the drum talk with somebody. Uh, so mm. I would say by date three or date four, Amber and I knew that we were actually going to decide let's date exclusively. This right. seems like it's something good. So I had a talk with her very, very early on. And I just said, if you want to keep dating me, there's a few things you just have to know right off the bat. So first of all, uh, financially, I will fluctuate like no one you've ever met because <laughs> sometimes I've got a bunch of gigs and I get a record deal and sometimes I have nothing for six months. So right. I will be a baller and a bum. <laughs> and uh, if, if you can deal with that, cool. Also, I can never ever hear the phrase from you, when are you going to get a real job? I have oh, a real job. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I just <clears throat> It's just different than what you're used to. And we can never, ever, ever talk about drums. It's... It's the only thing that I'm going to defend to the death. It will cause fights. So yeah. um, now I think I think in time you start to realize the difference between using your drums to get out of family obligations. Uh, yeah. Like I got to practice. I wish I could go to Christmas, but I got to practice. That's some bull crap, and you're going to get called on it. But yeah. for the most part, you know, if you set the ground rules pretty clearly, like hey, I, I generally need to get in two to three hours of practice a day. Um, a lot of my practice time happens at late at night you know um and i i think as long as you set the ground rules pretty early it, it's it's all good what about did you even have to have the drum talk no never because because it wasn't even there was no separation it's it's me and drums are one thing so it was never like <clears throat> you know give that up and, and just be you because that there's no separate i mean i've been i've been playing drums since I mean, I was nine years old when I started, so I had so much more many years as a drummer as as without. So there was there's never been that, and luckily because I started so early, I was able to put in the bulk of my ten thousand hours before any of these life things right. come up. So I agreed. Mean, I was able to sacrifice a lot when I was young, um, when there you know there was no serious relationships, and there was you know I was either having to go you know choose between going skateboarding with my friends or practicing the drums you know that was the right. decision i had to make i had to skip a few parties to do like all county band rehearsals right. Me and too. stuff yep but so i think as an adult it's a it's a different i mean you have to you have to 
we have to compromise in, in all areas of life. You got to have a job or, or not. Do you have a relationship or do you not? I mean, there are some people who just can't, don't have relationships because the drumming is so intense for them, and that's the yeah. decision they made. And and especially like if you're in a you know if you're a jazz drummer, the hours are going to be so crazy. You're not. It's going to be hard to find someone who can even deal with the fact that you're out until four or five in the morning you sleep until noon if that's your right. the new york city scene you know sure. and that's just legit that's the way it is it's not because you're out doing drugs or whatever it's because no. that's when that's the when session the started yeah. yeah yeah so i mean that's the other side of it i think i think you just have to make compromises like i would never at this point in my life say i'm sorry i can't take out the trash because i have to tune my snare drum like <laughs> right you're still a yeah you're a human being I agree. Well, I think that that's what it comes down to is do you want an obsession or do you want balance? And you and I probably both feel similar, which is we could both be much better drummers if we had no balance. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we'd be happier human beings. No. And I think it'd be worse. I mean, I think I've grown most course. as a musician when I've grown as a person, when I've had life experiences that have made me, you know, like if I had a good cry in five years and then something happens and I get really kind of emotional for a bit. That reflects right. in the way I connect with music and drums as well. Whereas right. if I'm only working, like I'm going to master, uh, you know, stick control with my feet, and 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 that's my goal for the next six months. I mean, it, I don't think that translates into good music making. I think you have to no. live. You have to live a life to have something to say. That's that's what one thing that Matt Chamberlain kept repeating to me the first time I talked to him was, you know, you just have to have something to say, man. It doesn't matter how you do it or what you do it with or what gear you use or what technique you use or match right. grip or traditional grip. If you don't have anything to say, then then why are you doing it? Yeah. And I think you can only have something to say when you live life. I think that's why 13-year-olds don't generally make good music. You know? Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I think that, honestly, life builds in those obsession moments. You know, there will be this thing where my wife says – Hey, my mom and my aunt and I, we're going to go see who share. And it's like, oh, cool. I have a full, you're going to go to Vegas. I have two full days where I'm going to obsess on the drums. Right. And when yeah. you get back, now you want to go to a movie and dinner. It's, it's no big deal. I spent two days obsessing. I, I could use the break. So it, I think it all comes down to balance, Morgan. And uh, you will find that. And you will find that special person. And all right. she will be incredible. Yeah, Love I mean, advice from Mike and Mike. <laughs> it does take a very special person. That is, we can both agree <laughs> on. Um, all right, we've got five more. Let's see if we can just kind of you know, steamroll through these. Uh, this one comes from. Let's see, what's the quickest and easiest one? Oh, this is a pretty interesting one. This is from Chris. Um, I'm curious if you could talk about one person outside of the music industry that has inspired or motivated you to be to better yourself as a musician. We don't have to go too deep into it, but. I have my pick. It would be Tim Ferriss. Okay. Just by his, because his podcast where he's digging into the minds of, of successful, creative, passionate people. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, I, I relate to that, but I haven't committed and gone far enough into that. Right. So Tim Ferriss Perfect. would be my guy. Mine would be Elon Musk. Just uh, decided the future needed to be different, and, he, and he, he went for it. And we won't know for decades to come if he achieved all of his goals um, and how it affects the world, but I just love the fact that he went for it. So, Elon Musk. This one is, uh, this might be the same Caleb. We might have got a twofer from Caleb. Um, so he's saying, uh, da, 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 da. 
Okay. Da, da, da. So he he works at Sam Ash, and he gets okay. he gets really motivated when he you know meets people at the store when he's working and talking drums and stuff. Uh, but when he gets back to his kid at home, he seems to lose the motivation. So what would you guys recommend for me to do? To, to make myself really want to play when I'm at home and not feel lazy. Maybe it's lighting adjustments or arranging the room or some, <laughs> is it, I, I mean, and I think that's really kind of the answer for me. I mean, I, before every recording session, I just burn a little bit of sage. I mean, whatever. I mean, no, there, I, I do believe that it has some cleansing properties, even though maybe scientifically it doesn't, but just the process of lighting that stage and that sage and me smelling it. And I kind of get, yeah, I feel like I'm ready to go. It cleanses okay. me. Uh, lighting, I tend to, I have two um, little lamps that are behind the drums and kind of at the floor. So if I'm just going down just to play, I'll only turn those two lamps on. Yeah. So it's kind of a yeah. very shadowy vibe. And I mean, you can't not be inspired when the atmosphere is cool. If you have fluorescent lights on and you're in like a cafeteria vibe, then no. no the good. way that everyone sees my kit online is not how I practice. I actually turn off all the lights, and then we have wall sconces around the whole main room that we're in, and those are on a dimmer, and those are like just barely on, so it looks like there's just candles around the whole room, yeah. and that's all the light that I have. Um, and, and then I have the two backlights that I just leave on, and, and same thing. It's just very shadowy. It's very moody, and I lock the hell out of all the doors so that <laughs> yeah. nobody can spook me and ghost me out. And, or and just, just make you feel uncomfortable by coming in like, dude, are you getting romantic with your drums? Yeah, you? totally. It's like, <laughs> oh, hold on, let me turn on the lights, uh, blow out the candles. Um, but yeah, so I think a, a lot of that has to do with it. And then the other thing is I'm inspired when I have something to practice. Sometimes yeah. I'm practicing just because I haven't practiced in a while, and I, I don't get a lot out of that. But right now I'm on a tear. I'm on a practice tear because I have these things that I'm trying to achieve, and I can see if they're happening every day. So, yeah. Light some incense. Make make it happen. I wouldn't go as far as incense, no. <laughs> All right. Don't light some incense. I don't have incense. I have the volcano candles. So, yeah. But my room smells good, and it looks good, and I like to play. Yep, yep. All right. So this is very similar. This comes from Jason. He's um, he's basically suffering from burnout syndrome. He's, he's teaching three days a week. He's playing yeah. a ton. Um, he's in his late 30s. He's got a master's degree. So he's he's dedicated his life to music and stuff. But... Now he's starting to enjoy, he says he's, he's preferring, he's not really enjoying the instrument, he's preferring to play Bach and Chopin on the piano. Um, wow. And he's, he's, he's afraid that this is also transferring into his drumming on the gig. Um, mm. So how do I get out of this funk? Uh, I guess he's kind of frustrated with where his career has gone, so it, should he just accept that it's not going to happen? Um, should he make some big changes? These are tough, tough questions. Um, yeah. I think if the Bach and Chopin has given you some relief, then keep playing Bach and Chopin. And yeah, I was going to say, I would, I, would, I would hate to consider playing classical music on the piano a funk. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's actually, I would love to have that. <laughs> I can't even play Mary Had a Little Lamb on the piano. I would not um, worry about it. I mean, if that is gives for me, if that gives you the emotional release, then do more of that and not worry about losing a little bit of chops on the drums. What do you think that <laughs> watch obsession was? I mean, we haven't talked about watches in a while because I'm kind of over it. Oh, yeah, I mean, already? I, uh, I'm over it, and I've got quite the collection now. But <laughs> You're but maxed that obs- out, per se. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I, but that obsession was my subconscious just saying, I, I can't take any more bearing edges. I can't take any more B20 bronze. Yeah. Obsess over something new. And it gave me a vacation. Every night when I'd get home, instead of watching Weckle videos, I'd scroll through watch websites. And, 
and then I I don't know. I mean, the last three to four weeks, I've just re-fallen in love with the drum set on a level that's unparalleled in my entire career. Yeah. I can't wait to play. I can't wait to record myself. I, I So, yeah, so I, I, think, um, I think what you're going through, one, is very normal. So don't freak out. But just weather the storm. I just call it the tides. Right now, yeah. your inspiration tide is out. It will come back in. And when it does, you just got to ride the waves. Yeah. I, I think of it as like a snake shedding skin. Like you're going to you go, go through that period where it's just itchy and you're just like, why am I doing this? Why am I a snake? Why can't I be something else? And as right. far as the career thing, I think that's a really tricky one. Um, only you will know the true answer to that. But I think knowing that you're you're unsettled is a good thing because then you can set some goals. Just set some yeah. small achievable goals and – and also be thankful that you are gigging. That's that's something that we often forget is just just be gracious for the fact that you are able to make a living playing drums even though you're not you know, doing the dream gigs or whatever it may be. I mean, I, I battle with that constantly as I see my peers just get these amazing gigs and I'm you know, still playing the, the local pub on every other Sunday or whatever. But I'm still – you still have to kind of look back and say, okay – this is where I am. This is cool. Now, what do I want to achieve and what do I need to set in motion to get myself closer to that? It's and really, it's, really tough. It's all relative. There's some drummer right now that's practicing his rear end off and he can't get the bar gigs that you have. You right. have his dream right. gig. So it's, it's all relative. Wherever we are, we're always going to want more. Yep. And I think just knowing that you want more is good. It's when yeah. you just become apathetic and you just don't care. That's when it gets scary. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This one comes from our friend Nick in Poughkeepsie. Hey, um, he's he was listening to our episode about learning licks and and how we were both talking about what we were working on. You had a nine stroke roll thing, and I was doing some sort of thirty second note linear thing, okay. starting with the oh, bass yeah. drum. I was doing the Keith Carlock lick, yeah, yeah, which is funny because me not remembering that goes right into his question. So <laughs> I'm genuinely curious if these licks ended up making it into your plane, and if they did, at what point did you decide to let them go? Um, he's curious as a drummer agent as and as an educator how this how this process works for me i only wanted to learn that lick because i just felt during that two-week time period i needed a challenge i needed something to do i needed something that was completely different than anything else i was doing have i ever played that lick on a gig i don't think so but it's still there and i do think i used the bass drum a little bit more right. uh, in in my playing but that exact pattern no, it, I never mastered it. I never got to the point where I even felt like I could use it. But for me, it was just a challenge. Like, can I learn it? You know, get me through. Give me, give me something yeah. new to do. Can I just figure yeah, of this course. out? It's just it's a new vocabulary word, and it, it's fun to learn new vocabulary words. But it's also really annoying when you use that new vocabulary word, and everyone can tell that you are waiting for the sentence to use that word. Right. Uh, I can tell you this with that nine-stroke thing. Uh, I talked myself out of it in the moment while I was doing my solo in Mexico. Oh yeah, because um, it came up in my head in the in the background of my head, and it it appeared on the shelf, the shelf that is next to your drum set that you can reach for ideas. <laughs> it appeared, and I was like, "Oh, there it is!" And it was on the top shelf, and I was like, "It's a big reach." And I and all I thought of was Yost Nickel telling me like, "Don't play any li- if you know what you're playing, you shouldn't be doing it right now." Uh-huh. Meaning like, don't play any memorized licks. And to do it, I would have had to set aside some serious brain power to be like, okay, it's going to start with kick right, left, then go into a paradiddle diddle. Yeah. So I'm going to need to get out of my hands for a little bit so that I can jump into it. That's so much thought while I'm playing a solo in front of a, a huge yeah, audience. Think of the amount of, of bull crap that would have gone by while you were thinking. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I said I would have to think to do it, I, I crossed it off the list and didn't do it. So um, 
But it was nice to see it on the shelf. I was like, oh, it looks good next to all the licks that I can play uh, without <laughs> thought. But yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. My my whole reason in doing it is to free up more drumming. I mean, really, licks at some point become just get out of jail free cards. It's when I'm kind of stuck and I, I reach a stop sign. It just gets me, you know, moving again. So um, I, I'm the same as you. I learn it. I assume even if I do master it, I just try to forget about it. And it'll show up when it needs to. It'll come out in natural conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of it is not it's not about always having it apply. Sometimes it's just something to do, just something to work on. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you're still getting better. You're still getting your your techniques getting better. You're getting more comfortable with the drums. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, that's like yeah. like Shannon Forrest told me he practiced double bass. He doesn't play any double bass, but he's practicing it. He wants to be great at double bass just because he wants to be great right. at it. Sure. All right, last question. This one comes from Ernie, and I think this would be 90% your response. Um, he's a professional drummer. He's been playing for 30-plus years. Um, he did a few clinics back in the 90s, but I think, but not since then, and he's looking to get back into it. So he wants to know, um, his question is, what is your outline for giving a drum clinic to students of all levels? Mm. Uh, well, the first thing is I make sure – my thought is every single drummer that came to the clinic probably brought somebody with them that doesn't play drums. So I always make sure that my clinic is applicable to, for the entire crowd. If you're a lawyer, you should get the same amount out of it as the drummer did. And if you're a chiropractor, you should get the same amount of it that the drummer did. So I make sure that my subject matter is very universal and – I mean, it seems to work. I love no, – there's nothing cooler than when a spouse of a drummer comes up to me and says, hey, I, I don't play drums at all, but that was fantastic. And it's like, cool. And they are, they're not talking about the drumming. They're talking about the entire event. So that's one thing that I do is I'm always looking for subjects that are relative to the world. Um, practicing. Everyone has to practice something. Even if, I mean, doctors have to practice. Right, you don't just right. go to school and be like, give me a heart. I think I got this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, my. <laughs> yeah. Let me so, improvise with your heart. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I was listening to a lot of Wayne Krantz, and I just wanted to kind of go in eight-bar phrases on your lungs. Here we go. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so that's one thing that I do. Uh, the other thing that I do is it's I plan it out like a set list. So let's say Mexico was my uh, most recent one. That was two weeks ago. I I planned out how I'm going to walk out to the stage. Am I going to speak to the crowd or am I literally going to sit down on the drum set and have the whole crowd be kind of waiting for that first note? So I did two songs before ever speaking at all. And they, and they were set up on my laptop to really run right into each other. I mean, I really thought out the applause. And I thought, okay, the applause died down and next piano note starts now. Then from there, I spoke to the crowd a little bit, warmed them up talked about how much I love this instrument and stuff. And then I played a solo and then I opened it up for Q and a, and I actually taught a lot. And then I uh, went out with a song that was definitely meant to be the climax of the clinic. And I said, goodbye. So I, it's not like, well, I hope this 45 minutes goes well. That's, that's a train wreck. You <laughs> yeah. have to really plan out the time. But I think the most important thing, if you want to get into clinics and get back into doing that thing live, you just have to, be really confident in who you are and realize people came out to see you be you. So you, you got to do that. And, and there's enough room in the clinic world to not have everything be as much as I love it. Not everything has to be a Chad, uh, not Chad Wackerman, a Virgil Donati, uh, Marco Miniman thing. They, those guys already exist. So yeah. 
I kind of feel like, hey, maybe you saw Virgil last week, so I don't really need to be Virgil. I mean, I'm not going to blow your socks off. My role in the drumming community is to make sure that everyone in the world knows that they also could do this. Mm. That's not Virgil's purpose. Virgil's purpose is to show you what could physically be done if you dedicated your whole life to this instrument. Um, Right, right. And we all have a role to play in that thing. So, but, uh, but man, keep us posted. I'd love to see your clinic. I'd love to be front row for that thing. Yeah, for sure. So do we want to do picks of the week this week? Do you have anything? Yeah, of course. All right. What's yours? So my pick of the week is not a physical thing while you look around your office to find <laughs> what your pick of the week is going to be. No, I'm just kidding. No, you, you have a pick of the week, I do. Right? I have one. Yeah. yeah. Um, you sent it to me. It was freaking awesome. Yeah. But um, my pick of the week is not a physical thing. It's not something you can watch. It's an experience. Uh, last night, I had my buddy, one of my drummer friends, Devin Sumner, come over here, and we had our drum hang time. We went out to dinner, had some Thai food, came back here. And uh, I think maybe at the most there was three minutes of total drumming that happened. The whole night was us sharing the music and the drummers and the videos that get us excited. And I got a ton of new music to listen to because he was like, oh, type in this. And then I was like, oh, have you checked this out? And then we just went on this journey together of sharing music and sharing inspiration. And I just, I mean, it was it was awesome. And so so my pick of the week is invite a drummer friend over to your house and just geek out just watch your favorite drum videos show them the things that you know turn them on to the drummers that you know of that maybe they don't talk about new gear that you guys are both interested in and that inspiration will last you forever and carve out some time to hang out with a drummer that's great i mean i had a similar but opposite experience this afternoon i have a good friend that i met when i was in philly and He's a guitarist. He's been torn with Jill Scott and, and oh, wow. all these people for, for a long time. But he's a great songwriter and a little and kind of more of an experimental acoustic uh, artist when he does his own stuff. And we used to play in like a Pat Metheny style trio when okay. I was in grad school. He's 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 an awesome musician. So every once in a while he just starts texting me like, Have you heard this record? Have you heard mm-hmm. this? And it's always something that I would never think to listen to because it's he's thinking songwriter stuff. So he sent me a Blake Blake Mills, I think it was a Blake Mills record, a Spotify link, and he was like, "Can you get these kind of drums?" And I'm listening to it, and I'm like, "What is going on here?" I was like, "This has to be Jim Keltner because it's like otherworldly, not a drummer, but the most perfect parts. There's no patterns, there are no parts." I'm wow. like, "Yeah, I don't know if I can do that, but I'm, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to try to figure wow. it out." So he's always hitting me because he's not a drummer. I mean, right. he plays a little bit of drums, but he's not like, have you have you heard the new whatever, right? the new Vinny track? It's like, have you heard this song? And check out yeah. how awesome the drums set the vibe for this song. Wow. So that, that would be similar for me, except for it's hang, yeah. with, hang with a non-drummer and do the same thing. Like, what gets them off? You know? Yeah. Because it's usually not. It's not going to be drum stuff. Right. No, I totally agree. I, I think it's it's great. And it just, you know, uh, one of the things that Devin and I, he kind of asked me, and he's he's... He's got a great Instagram following. He just hit 10,000 followers yesterday, and he's super excited. And he, and he doesn't care about that kind of stuff. He's actually doing – he's just really cataloging his practice, and people are liking it. Anyways, yeah. um, he said, I got to ask you, man, like to be where you're at, is it lonely? I was <laughs> like, yeah, it, it kind of is, man. Like I, I just realized that I, I lose a lot of friends because they can't keep up with my drive. And if you're not pushing me, I don't really – I don't know. It's hard for me to stay involved as a friend. I mean, when I look at the people I've aligned myself with over the last few years, J.P. Bouvet, Matt Halpern, Mark Juliana, Ash Sohn, Robert Sputzy, right, Carter McLean, you, 
it, when we talk, it's like, what have you been up to? And I never hear the words just chilling. It's like, yeah. oh, let me tell you, <laughs> 9,000 things. And I'm like, holy crap, I got to go, man. And yeah. How deep I like do you having, go? Yeah. yeah, I like having inspirational people around me. So, but other than that, it is pretty lonely. So, anyways, uh, my pick of the week, now back to uh, <laughs> happiness, is when, the, when you just realize, man, I've been alone with this drum set for four days now, call a drum buddy and go out to dinner, get some good food. And share some music because and and none of the music we shared was drum related. It was all trip hop stuff. It was just music that we enjoy. You know? Yeah, so, cool. Cool. So, what is your pick of the week, sir? My pick of the week is a record that that I've been t- actually I couldn't find it for years, and I always knew it was it was supposed to be this awesome record. But it's on Spotify. I'm sure it's on iTunes now. It's it's Robin Ford Tiger Walk. It's I think it's from maybe the early '90s. I don't know the date, but it has Steve Jordan. It's a tr- it's basically a, a power trio. There might be I think just keyboards. I think it's bass, drums, guitar, and and keys, and they're just jamming. Really kind of simple blues type grooves, and it's killer. Some of I think it's some of Jordan's best work. It's you know years before the John Mayer trio. Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that John probably listened to that record and was like, I want to get that kind of vibe going. Wow. Killer, killer sounds. There's very few drum fills besides just uh, you know six eighth notes on beat four at once uh, right. every thirty two bars or something. But the grooves are just ridiculous. That guy just has such a mat. He, I mean that that record I think was made in the nineties when music kind of sounded a little plasticky and kind of corny, but he sounds timeless. Like no yeah. matter what that yeah. guy does, he sounds timeless. I don't know if it's his 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 tuning or if it's just his vibe. It sounds yeah. like he's playing there like minimal miking, maybe maybe three mics on the kit. It sounds like it's an old Ludwig kit, you know, with double headed bass drum and Yeah. Like just I mean not that's high kind of five. a cool thing too, is like when you just when you have a thing and you stick to it, you're always gonna sound like you even if it's a record from the nineties or from two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Because you don't you didn't you didn't bend with the time and you didn't say, Okay, well now it's this is what's in style, so I'm going to play this. Yeah, just you know, like he like, knows. These are good. It, I'm sorry, yeah, whatever you yeah. think is happening right now, this is the good stuff. And, yeah. And he's so committed to it. And he's, he's, just, he's just right. He's always right. Yeah. I've yeah. heard and, him make a record where I'm like, wow, that was really dated. That was really goofy for the right. time. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you, man. So Robin Ford, Tiger Walk, Tiger Walk check it out. It's, it's, it might be my favorite Steve Jordan record of his entire awesome. catalog. Awesome. Well, thanks for sending me that link on Spotify. I was listening to that song last night, and it was just incredible. So now I'll listen to the whole album. Everyone, thank you so much for all of your support. If you want to keep sending us questions, we, we, keep, <laughs> we still have a few to get through. <laughs> uh, but you can always do that. Uh, send us an email at mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And thanks for giving us all the great podcast reviews. And when we see you guys next Friday, we'll have a quarter of a million listens. And we, right. uh, we really appreciate that. That's really cool. Stuff. Thanks for all your hard drive space. Yeah, we appreciate it. So, all right, buddy, we'll have a great day. Have a killer weekend, and I will talk to you soon. All right, see you. Later, buddy.